As we break down this passage of Scripture, verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, He left there and he came to his own town, and his disciples followed him. Now, where Jesus grew up, he grew up in a little town called Nazareth. And I think it was determined that Nazareth, probably around the time of Christ, maybe had somewhere between six to 800 people in the whole community. So it's pretty likely that everybody knew everybody, all right? I joke all the time with people, and I, I make notice. My wife and I have been here in Bethalto for three years. We moved here in June of 2016, so in this past June, we celebrated three years as the pastor being here in Bethalto. And, and I joke with my wife all the time because there is nowhere that I go between here and Edwards, uh, Alton, Wood River, there's nowhere I go where we're out in public where somebody doesn't say, hey, Pastor Steve. And I'm like, I'll say to my wife, do you know them? <laughs> and she'll say something like, that's one of your governing board members. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we, we've discovered how small this community is, even though it's really not small. Can you imagine growing up in a community of 800 people, all right? And in order to fully appreciate the text, we need to just take a moment to consider, remember what we've talked about up to this point. In the last chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus, he had healed the demonic of the Gerardines, he healed the woman with the issue of blood. He had raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. These were miraculous works. And now Jesus has come into his own country, the city of Nazareth. This is a familiar place with him. Uh, this was the city where he grew up. He, he lived and he worked among the people who lived here. They knew who Jesus was. His family lived there as well. This was his hometown. In my mind, this was his Worcester, Ohio. That's my hometown. You see, Jesus knows all about us. He knows even the secrets of our hearts. But the question this morning that I want us to wrestle with is are we familiar with him? Do we enjoy a close relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, the presence of the Lord should be very familiar with those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. I want you to ponder this just for a second. If Jesus wanted, and if Jesus wanted and welcomed in our lives. Would we receive him? Is he, is he where he should be? Is he in our lives? Do we receive him the way he should be received? You see, he went to his hometown. And they did not receive him. 
You see, I think sometimes it's so, it's possible that we are so familiar with Jesus, we are so comfortable with Jesus, that we lose sight of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we've grown accustomed to things like attending services and living a Christian life. But you know what scares me the most as I talk to people today who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ? What scares me the most is that I don't hear or pick up on the awe and wonder of being in relationship with Christ. In Revelation, one of the churches that they talk about in Revelation, and we're not going to preach on Revelation today, but it talks about the fact that there's a group of people who have lost their first love. Sometimes I wonder if we have not lost our first love. We become comfortable and lose sight of who Jesus really is and what he has done for us. You see, as Jesus went back to Nazareth, it was favored. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had returned to Nazareth since his public ministry began. He had been there early on in his ministry. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 14, it says he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And during his first visit to Nazareth, the people wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him. He wasn't received then, and yet Jesus here, he has returned in the third year of his ministry. Although he had been rejected before, he returned because he loved them and he wanted to minister to them. Can I ask you a question? Aren't you glad that his love and care for us doesn't depend upon our attitude and actions and our affection toward him. There have been many times when I have failed to welcome or recognize Jesus, and yet he continues to care for me. His grace is poured down upon me, and his gracious love exceeds even my greatest failures. You see, in verses 2 through 4, he begins to interact with the people at Nazareth, okay? And it's important to remember that these people, again, let me say this, they knew him, all right? They are family members, and many were likely friends of his growing up. You don't think about that sometimes, do you? Jesus had friends growing up. You know? It's like we think of Jesus and, and we think he was born, he was 12, and then he was a man. 
Oh, there was stuff in between there, wasn't it? Now, we don't know what it is, and there's some really crazy books out there that make some assumptions about what happens. I mean, there's a Gospel of Thomas out there, and in the Gospel of Thomas, you know, he turns some clay into doves, and the clay takes off, you know. That's not biblical. It could happen. He could have done it, but I'm not sure, you know. But he had friends. He had family. These were people. You would think Jesus would have enjoyed a fruitful ministry in Nazareth. You would have think these are the people that he grew up with. This would be a great place to do ministry. He gave them opportunity. In verse 2 it says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Jesus was always about the Father's business. Often he is found in the synagogues teaching the word to those who would hear. They enjoyed a great privilege having the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn about him as he explained the word. We have never had this opportunity. None of us here have had the opportunity to sit literally at the feet of Jesus. Yes, we have the opportunity to learn from Jesus and to learn about Jesus every time we come to church and when we study his word. We have the written word that reveals the living word uh, uh, through the direction of the Holy Spirit. The people here, however, didn't realize the magnitude of their opportunity. But what's amazing to me is when I read this passage of Scripture, I wonder if at times we aren't guilty of the same thing. Sometimes we come with a half-hearted attitude. Well, at other churches they do that. I know you guys don't do that here. Sometimes we come and our minds are on something else other than being here. Sometimes we walk in and our minds are on everything but the Lord and we leave wondering why we didn't receive anything at service. You know, the question is, how much time do we spend with our Lord and Savior outside of Sunday morning? Sometimes I think we have this attitude that we come to church on Sunday morning to get loaded up for the week, to get our fix, you know? Not trying to be like, you know, whatever, but sometimes we treat Sunday morning like, like an addict treats a fix. If I can just get that fix, it'll get me through the week. That's not true, is it? We know that. You see, the people didn't realize the magnitude of their opportunity. How much time do we spend with our Lord? In the second part of verse 2, it says, And many who heard him when they went to the synagogue, they were astonished. Where did this man get these things? These are people that he grew up with. What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? This was Jesus. 
This was the Son of God standing in their midst. They must have known the account of his miraculous birth. Surely it was evident that Jesus was divine. He wasn't just an average man. They had heard of his teachings. They had witnessed his miraculous works, and yet they questioned his authority. Their spiritual condition wasn't mature enough to receive the works of Christ. You see, they never accepted him as the Messiah. And so as I was studying this today, then I brought this back to me, brought this back to us, and what I came to the realization is that there are many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ who fail to enjoy a victorious life. And it's because all we do is try to live on the little fixes that we get once a week. And then we complain if the service goes past noon. Not you guys, other churches I've heard about that. (laughs) You see, folks, I think we need to look in the mirror a little bit. I know it's difficult, but how much... I think we need to ask ourselves, how much have we grown in our walk with the Lord? You see, an immature Christian will never be able to receive the things of God. I sound like my grandfather there for that. The things of God. But it's true. You will never be an expert golfer just buying a set of clubs. Am I right, Jack? Amen. You got to use those things. You got to get out there. I used to think I would be an expert golfer if I just looked like a golfer. So I bought golfer shorts. I bought a golfer shirt. I got a golfer hat. I still couldn't golf. You know why? Because you've got to practice. You've got to actually swing a club. You've got to actually hit a ball. In high school and college, I played football. And let me just tell you something. I didn't learn how to play football just by watching someone play football. I learned how to play football by getting out on the field and getting my head knocked in a few times. I learned how to block a tackle, and and I learned how to get away from a tackle by getting tackled because it hurt. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't like pain. I'm a wimp. I'll talk to you later in private. We will never be mature followers of Jesus Christ experiencing the victory of Jesus Christ unless we allow Jesus Christ in and follow and study and show ourselves approved. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But the person without the Spirit 
does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. We have to, if we want to experience the fullness of the Father, we have to reach a spiritual level where we trust Christ with all things. Oh, we can do a great job talking spiritual words. We can speak spiritual things. But if Jesus Christ isn't living inside of us, making us, transforming us, changing us, molding us, if we're not allowing him to shape us, I don't care what you say. You're not going to, man, I'm preaching really loud today. We've got to reach a spiritual level. You know, we get to verse 3 in this passage. And now, by the way, for all of you who are first-time guests, I am ADD, bonafide, full-on. So I just jump all over the place. So I'm hoping at some point something I say today will land and you can grab it. All right? And I'll say a lot of things. All right? But as we move into verse 3, we see the uncertainty here. It says in verse 3, isn't this the carpenter's son? the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't, aren't his sisters here with us? It says, so they were offended by him. You see, Jesus wasn't recognized in his own town as the Messiah. They had the attitude of who does this guy think he is? He was only considered the carpenter or the son of Mary, the brother of those who lived there. He was robbed of his deity. They couldn't accept him as the son of God. You see, I would hope that none of us here today would deny Jesus is the Christ. I pray we all have trusted him as our Lord and Savior. But can I ask this question? Have we not at times been guilty of robbing Jesus of his deity? What are you talking about, Pastor? What do you mean by that? Do we not rob him of his deity when we question his ability to meet our needs? When we take things into our own hands, thinking we know better than he does? Do we not at times deny his deity when we go our own way and we refuse his will for our lives? You see, folks, today we need to be reminded of who he is. Jesus isn't a God who is far off. Jesus is not a God who is way up in heaven and we're way down here and he's unaware of our needs. He's not an absent landlord. Is that how I say it? Yeah, an absentee landlord. Psalms chapter 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge. 
He is our strength. He is a helper who is always found in times of trouble. In other words, he is right here with us all the time. Amen. In verse 4, Jesus says to them, he says, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his household. Ouch. Wow, what a slap in the face, huh? Jesus gives a great word, a grave word to those in Nazareth. They had witnessed his works, they had heard his words, and yet they reject him. He was received in other places, but not in his hometown. The people had rejected Jesus, but they would be accountable someday for the light that they had rejected. You see, what I want to tell us today here is that there's going to be a day, whether we, whether we want to accept it or not, there's going to be a day in every single one of our lives when we will give an account for the light that we have received. I believe we are accountable for every time we come together. Someday we're going to stand before the Lord. And I know that we don't like to hear those kind of preaching words sometimes because we want love to win all the time, right? Jesus loves everybody, and he does. But that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be justice someday. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a day when we're going to have to stand before him and give an account for our lives. And I have to tell you today, because if I don't tell you this, I'm going to be accountable for this. Just being a good person isn't going to get it. You have got to repent, believe, and follow Jesus Christ. You have to surrender to him. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see, God has given us so much, all right? But there is an expectation on us. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Do we give Jesus the honor that he deserves? Do our lives testify of the faith that we have in him? If anyone should honor and lift up the name of Jesus Christ, it is us. We should. Amen? You see, we go to verse 5 and 6, and we see the problem of Nazareth. You see, the attitude of the people in Nazareth, that had created a problem, and that problem was a threefold problem. Number one, in verse 5, it says, He was not able to do miracles there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. You see, there was a lack of focus there. 
The work Jesus performed in Nazareth was limited to healing a few sick people. There is no record in Scripture of any believing in him as the Messiah. We see nowhere in Scripture where his hometown believed that he was Messiah. A few, they desired a physical need to be met, but no spiritual needs were addressed. You see, I'm fearful that sometimes the modern-day church today, that wasn't grammatically correct, resembles Nazareth. You see, we have... We no, longer have, we no longer have a desire or a burden for revival. We're not interested in a, a closer walk with Jesus or seeing lives transformed. Much of our emphasis in the modern church today is on physical needs. We pick churches because, well, do they have a good kids program? Because I need a kids program. Are their restrooms clean enough? Do they serve a good latte? And don't get me wrong, all of those things are great. I like to be able to drop off my kids even though they're all grown. I don't like to go to a dirty bathroom. I go to a dirty bathroom at a restaurant. I don't eat at that restaurant anymore. Because if the bathroom looks that way, I like a good latte. But that's not what I go to church for. That's not what I'm looking for in a good church. I'm looking to find out if the Word of God is being proclaimed. I want to know if the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. I want to know lives are being transformed. I want to know if the world is being made a better place by what the people are doing. I think our evangelism has been replaced with entertainment. Our burden has been replaced with boredom. Our worship has been replaced with personal works and performance. Oh, now he's stepping on toes. Activities, programs. It's sad when we can stand... Um, um, I might get fired for this. It is sad when we can stand for a whole football game but can't stand for a few worship songs. It's sad. It's sad when, our, when, when, when we belt out our bluegrass, country, jazz, rock and roll for hours. But if a worship song lasts more than ten, two minutes, it's too long. It's sad that we can't sing about our Lord and Savior for more than three minutes without moaning. Because it's too long or it's too repetitive. Man, if I stand up and say, praise you, Lord, 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 for an hour, that's not enough. I told you I was going to get fired. <laughs> oh, 
that God would rekindle the fire within our souls. I pray that our focus would center on spiritual needs and growth instead of on just the physical aspects. Amen? You see, in verse 6, it says, He was amazed at their unbelief. He was going, he was going around the village teaching. You see, Jesus marveled at their unbelief, their lack of faith. These were his people. These were his kinsmen. And yet their faith was weak. He would have expected that from Rome. He would have expected that from the Gentiles, but not his own people. Folks, we are to be a people of faith. Our faith, or lack thereof, affects our influence in the church as well as in the community. Our faith goes a long way with the Lord. If we could only have faith the size of a mustard seed, the scripture says that we can move mountains. Folks, I think our churches are losing their faith. Do you know that over half of the churches in North America today have attendance of less than 70 people. And there are over 8,000 churches closing their doors every single year. Folks, I remember a day when the saints of God exercised their faith. They exercised their faith through prayer, through fasting, through proclaiming the gospel boldly. And I remember a day when God honored their faith. That day has not passed, but it's up to us to start reclaiming the faith that our Father has given us. Amen? Mark chapter 9, verse 23, she says, Jesus said to him, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Folks, where is our faith at today? Do we truly believe God can save our loved ones? Do you believe that? How many of you have been praying for a lost loved one? Do you believe that he can save them? Amen? Do we believe that he can bring revival? Do we believe that all things... I, man, that was pathetic. Can I say that again? Do we believe he can bring revival? Do we believe all things are possible in him? Folks, we have to believe. You see... The saddest part of this passage of Scripture, and I know it's getting late, and I don't have you out of here by 2.30, but the saddest part of this passage of Scripture, all of you who are first-time guests, I was joking, all right, is in verse 5 when he says he was not able to do miracles. I don't know about you, but those words tear at me when I read them. I know that God is sovereign and his will accomplishes what he desires. But God's 
people have an impact on his work. Our doubt and our unbelief can hinder the work of Christ where we're at. Our spirit of unbelief, if we're not careful, is very contagious. If we never show genuine faith, then likely others will never receive genuine faith. We must not hinder the work of the Lord by grieving the Holy Spirit. I fear we will be greatly disappointed as we stand before Jesus and understand all that could have been accomplished if we had only been faithfully obedient. I don't know about you today, as the band comes up and we get ready to close, but I don't want to hinder the work of the Lord. I don't want to be the reason a lost person never got saved. My eyes... I want to be open to the things of God. And I think that we should be praying for that in all lives as long as we live. Amen? So this morning, as we close and as we stand, go ahead, you can stand. Stand. This passage, it is a challenge to each one of us. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Jesus today. If you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he loves you. There's nothing that you have done, there's nothing that you could ever do that would stop him from loving you. And you don't have to make everything right to come to Jesus. You don't have to clean everything up. That's the coolest thing about Jesus is he says, just come the way you are. We'll work on the cleanup deal together. All right? And not everyone's cleanup looks the same. Okay? There are people in my life that because I have tattoos and I don't wear a suit, they don't think I've ever cleaned up. You know, the cleanup doesn't always look the same. But guess what? You and God are the ones that figure out what that cleanup looks like. All you got to do is repent and believe. And then when you do that, those of us around here will help you to fi figure out what it means to follow in your life. But for the rest of us in this room, this passage is a challenge for us to live closer to the Lord. You see, if we're honest, Jesus, if we're honest here, Jesus is not always as welcome in our lives as he should be or as we claim him to be. He wants to do so much more in our lives 
but we've got to be willing to welcome him. So this morning, as we sing this final song, my question to you is, has God spoken to your heart? If he has, respond. Are there issues that you need to bring before him? Bring them. Uh, Seek him that you might live pleasing unto him. Maybe you're sitting in this room today or you're standing right now and you're like many in Nazareth who denied Jesus as the Christ, never receiving him as Lord and Savior. Hopefully what I have proclaimed today is the truth, and I believe it is. How are you going to respond? Will you embrace him or will you continue to push away Because he alone can save the sin in our lives. And if we come to him in faith and we receive, he will give. Amen? So this morning, the altars are open. Communion is set up if you want to take communion. There are people who will pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, you can do that. But don't leave here today without responding to whatever it is you've heard him speak to you today. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to proclaim your word today. And Lord, my prayer is that I didn't get in the way of that. Lord, my prayer is that those here today heard from you and didn't hear my words. They heard your words. And Lord, I just ask right now that whatever you are doing in this room, may lives be transformed and may your Holy Spirit move in a mighty way. I pray this in your most precious name. Amen.